Good morning. This has been a very exciting weekend. We started off last night with our alternative service that we did in the Fellowship Mall and had 78 people come last night. And the exciting thing was there were a number of people who came who told me and said, I work on Sundays. So there's no way I'd been able to come. So we're so thankful we were able to have that service. And I just was over in the classic venue, just preached over there. So sorry I'm a bit late in regards to, to doing that. So just very excited about what God continues to do. Because you see, all of us need hope. All of us need to understand what hope is all about. Because so often life can seem like a big dream. Life can seem like something that's ethereal and out there instead of reality. When you face the situations you have to face, you face the circumstances you have to face, we all need hope. And as a result, we're starting a new series today that we call Wake Up. Today we're going to talk about waking up to hope. I found it interesting, there was an article written yesterday's Washington Post by a man by the name of James Martin, who said this, Unlike Christmas, Easter doesn't have a crazed shopping season preceding it. It doesn't have its own tree. It doesn't spawn wild office parties. It doesn't boast an annual TV special for kids. It doesn't spawn new albums from pop stars. It doesn't prompt people to send boatloads of cards to friends they haven't seen all years. It doesn't have its own sweaters, thank God. It doesn't, it's not a date that many children or adults anticipate. It doesn't have a dozen of songs beloved by those who don't even celebrate the holiday. It doesn't even set its own date. But in the eyes of most followers of Christ, Easter is a more important holiday than Christmas. Amen? Because you see, Easter is about hope. What do I mean when I say it's about hope? It's a matter of waking up to hope. See, we find in the scriptures that the characters that were encountering the resurrected Christ, before they encountered him, were filled with a hopelessness. See, Mary, as she found her dream was shattered, her whole idea of the future was totally crushed, was filled with hopelessness. Peter who had denied Christ three times and went off and wept bitterly. Yet we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, don't turn there, just look at the screen. He is the one who wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us birth to a living hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. As I thought about that, I thought, what's it mean to have a living hope? To have a living hope is to have something you can grab a hold of that affects your life. That affects your life every day. Let me show you the picture of someone who understands what this is about. This man is Pastor Youssef, who lives in Iran. And has endured over 900 days in prison, waiting to be executed waiting to be executed any day. Why? Because he stood up and said, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Because he stood up when the court said, would you repent? And he said, what do you want me to repent of? He said, I can't repent of where I've been because now my life has been changed. And if I were to repent about what Christ has done for me, I'd be believing a lie. 
said, my life has been changed. Christ is the only way. And now every morning, Pastor Youssef wakes up wondering if today is going to be the day that he'll be executed. Yet he writes of the fact of living with a living hope. A living hope that grabs a hold of his heart that makes a difference. What is hope? See, we use hope in such, a, such an interesting way. It's not like a wish. It's not like all those people put on Moneyball or Powerball. That's not hope. In Scripture, hope is this. Look at this definition. In Scripture, biblical hope, read it with me. Biblical hope is a confident trust in a God who has kept, is keeping, and will keep his promises to his children. That's hope. That's biblical hope. Scripture says this kind of hope is like an anchor, an anchor that holds your soul. What is it that causes us to be able to gather together today to celebrate with confidence, to celebrate with a sense of victory? It's because we've got biblical hope. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. As we're going to learn some things about hope as we follow the path. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, stop there. When John is writing this and he says it is still dark, he's not only talking about the time frame, he's talking about the emotions, what the disciples were feeling. They were going to a point of hopelessness. They were feeling empty. They were feeling crushed. They were feeling like their dreams were crushed. See, so often we talk about Good Friday and we talk about Easter Sunday, but we forget about Saturday. Saturday in the midst of it, they, all they had in front of them was a dead king. They were filled with hopelessness. It was a time that was dark. Mary Magdalene had wrestled all night long after being with Jesus for the longest time as he hung on the cross. As a matter of fact, Mary is one of the few people that were there. Most of the men, disciples, had scattered. And it was the women who were standing there at the cross with Jesus. And notice what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Stop there. When you see that phrase, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, it's talking about John, the one who's writing it right here. Instead of him saying, Peter and me, it's Peter and the one that Jesus loved. And they, she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Now watch this. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. I love this. Picture this, right? They're like, where'd he go? What happened to him? And it says they're both running. It'd be like here if you, you had the picture, the other, there's Peter and there's John, and they're both running. Now look what the text says. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is great. It's a matter he's saying John's on the other end, and he's not standing there on the other end and just saying, thus bless the Lord. I'm sure he's like, na 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 I beat you. And so he gets to the tomb, and he's standing there at the tomb, and it says they both were running, but he came to the tomb first, and he bent over and looked in and saw the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. John bent over and saw the grave clothes all in order. 
but he didn't dare go in. Next verse. But Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb. Peter, get out of my way, sucker. I'm going in there right now. And so as a result, he goes straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, parentheses, who reached the tomb first. I mean, John keeps giving it to him. Who reached the tomb? I did get there first, remember? He says, who reached the tomb first. Went inside, and he saw, and he believed. And they still didn't understand the scripture. Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb doing what? Crying. The word crying there is literally a word that means weeping and wailing. Letting out all of her emotions, letting out all of her anguish, letting out all. The word is not sobbing, it's the idea of crying and wailing. Why? Because her dreams were crushed. Her hope was gone. That's why she's weeping, that's why she's wailing, that's why she's crying. And those of you who've been to that kind of point in your life, you know what it's like when you feel like your dream's been crushed. When everything has fallen apart, when everything has totally been crushed around you and you don't know where to turn and you're crying so hard, hoping to see God in the midst of it all. And she weeps. And actually in two different times now in this text, it says two different groups of people ask her, why are you crying? Why are you crying? The angels ask her and then Jesus himself asks her, read on. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? What is it you're, who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. I want to give you some characteristics of hope that can be an encouragement to you today. The first is this, hope meets you where you are. Hope meets you where you are. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're going through, but hope meets you where you are. You know what's interesting about this passage of Scripture? Tim Keller, who's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, says, note that it says the very first person Jesus appeared to was a woman. And that shows you the inspiration of Scripture because during those days, the witness of a woman was not considered credible. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, shows how he elevates the role of women. He elevates the role of women to such a point of not being in a subservient state, but being the first one who's a witness to the resurrection. Do you know why that was? All the men scattered. All the, yeah, you better mark that one down. All the men scattered. Scripture says during the time of the cross, the men stood far off. Do you know who was near the cross with Jesus? It was the woman. It was the women, and now it's a woman that he appears to first, a woman that he had dealt all these demons out of her. It was a woman that he appeared to. You know why? Because Jesus wants you to know in him there is no male, there is no female, there is no bond, there is no free, there is no Greek, there is no any other nationality. We are united together in Christ. Jesus appeared to the woman first to show that is the truth. Because you know why that is? Because so often there are different groups of people 
people within our society, within our culture, who may feel like life is filled with hopelessness, and Jesus wants you to know there is hope that can come from him. He appeared to the woman, and he appeared to Mary. You see, hope meets you where you are. Hope doesn't ask you to change where you are. He meets you right where you are. But then secondly, hope gives you what you need. Read on. Thinking it was a gardener, she spoke to him. Then look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, one word, Mary. Mary. See, hope not only meets you where you are, hope gives you what you need. Because you know what Mary needed right then and there? To hear her name in his voice. She needed to hear her name in his voice. Why is that? Because John chapter 10 tells us, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, and they hear my voice, and I call them by name, and they follow me. I thought about the number of different ways that we use this idea of the importance of a name. I thought about growing up. How when my mom wanted me to be there pronto because I had done something, she'd call me by my first, middle, and last name. Wallace Richard Gay Jr., she would repeat. And she would, that meant I needed to get there, and it wasn't to get a present. And I contrast that when my wife calls my name, and she says, Richard. And when she says it like that, my heart flutters. My eyes flick because I know things are good. Now, if she says, Richard, I run the other way. But, you know, we find here that she hears her name. Hope gives you what you need. Hope knows where you are. Hope knows when you need to hear your name. When you're standing at the grave of a loved one and you want to know that you're going to see them again to give you sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Hope gives you what you need. Or maybe you got that medical report and you need to know he's the good shepherd who walks with you during the times of shadow. Hope gives you what you need. Or maybe you're someone who's going through a family crisis and you need to know he is your refuge and strength. Hope gives you what you need. Or maybe you've been mistreated and you need to know that they meant it for harm, but God will use it for good. Hope gives you what you need. How does that happen? By grabbing hold of the promises of God. And knowing he's calling your name. He's written your name. And he's speaking your name. Hope meets you where you are. Hope gives you what you need. Read the rest of verse 16. And she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I did a wedding yesterday. In the midst of everything else, did a wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. It was out in the pier in Mercer County Park with the wind blowing and the cold and everything else. And finished the wedding ceremony. And this man came up to me. And the, the couple that were getting married were followers of Jesus Christ. But one has a Jewish background. And this man came up to me. And he ran right up to me and took my hand. And he says, Rabbi, great service. <laughs> thought, well, I've been called father before. Why not Rabbi. And I thought about what Mary meant when she said Rabboni. See, Rabboni is beyond rabbi. 
Rabboni was a term of endearment and a term of honor and adoration, which caused someone just to fall at their knees. And the scripture says she heard her name and she got what she needed. You see, she then responded back to him with Rabboni. And notice what he says in verse 17. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Actually, the, the term literally means stop, stop clinging to me. Now why? He says, because I've yet to ascend to my father. Why was she holding on so tightly to Jesus? I'll tell you why, because she already lost him once and she wasn't going to do it again. You see, when you're going through a difficult time and you're in need of hope and you're holding on to Jesus and he's all you got, you don't want to let go. And Jesus says, I want to tell you about a new relationship. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And Ephesians tells us when he ascended to the Father, he gave gifts to men and women so that we can be in service for him. But then, notice something. Of all the Easter's I've experienced, of all the times I've read this scripture, I've never seen this before. Look what he says. For I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Up to this point, he had always called his disciples first servants, then in John 15, friends, and now he calls them brothers. Do you know why that is? Because in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, because he sacrificed himself for us, he's not ashamed to call you his brothers. What an awesome truth. It's a new relationship. It's a new connection. Because what he's saying here is this. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in the resurrected Christ, you're no longer as far from God. You're drawn to God. And now Christ is not only your king, he's your brother. Because you're a child of God. That's what the scripture is saying. And then she gives him a new responsibility. He gives her a new responsibility. So I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God, and to your God. Go and tell my disciples. You know what she told him? Look here. She was telling, she, he was telling her, go tell the disciples, I'm back. Because remember, they were filled with hopelessness. They didn't know where to turn. They didn't know what was going on. And now he's saying, I'm back. No more need for hopelessness. The king is alive. No more need for hopelessness. The king who knows your name is right here beside you. No more need for hopelessness. And look at this, folks. Look at this passage of scripture. He says, tell them that I've gone to my father and your father, my God and your God. Listen to me. Some of you are sitting here today and you're just listening and you're watching and you're observing me talk about my father and my God. Here's my challenge to you. He wants to be your father and your God. The scripture says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what Easter's about? Easter's about the fact that it's not just my God, he can be your God. It's not just my Father, he can be your Father. He's not just my Savior, he can be your Savior. Not based on anything you do, but based on everything he did on that cross. Because the tomb is empty. It's time to wake up to hope. 
It's time to wake up and understand. He says, because you see, hope meets you where you are. Hope gives you what you need, but then hope guides you what to do. What he's saying to, to Mary is, Mary, I got something to tell you I want you to do. Go tell. Go tell. Say so. Say that God is good. Say that God is good as to what he's done. Go tell. Peter wrote this way. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And do you know who he was writing this to? Not a bunch of people sitting on the island in Jamaica sipping nice little fruity drinks. He was writing to suffering believers. Because it's in suffering when we learn what hope is all about. It's in the midst of suffering and pain that we learn. And the Apostle Peter says this, when you're walking through the pain, when you're walking through the difficulty, and you hear his voice, and he gives you the peace that it passes all understanding, people around you are going to say, how can you be so peaceful? How can you be so calm? And Peter says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. But some of you are sitting here today and you don't know what I'm talking about because that hope isn't in you. Because you've been clinging to your good works instead of clinging to your good Savior. You've been clinging to what you're doing instead of what he already did for you. You've been clinging to being religious instead of clinging to the Redeemer. You've been clinging to all kinds of other things to make you right with God. When Jesus, when he hung on the cross, says, it's finished, it's paid for, just receive the payment, it's free. See, hope meets you where you are. Hope gives you what you need. And hope guides you where to go. Many of us are familiar with this picture here. Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin, the Knicks guard phenomenon, is one of the biggest stories of the NBA this season. Except he's probably going to be out the next six games. He has a torn meniscus in his knee. He had surgery last week, and after his surgery, he was interviewed by a reporter. This reporter had a bunch of questions for him. But instead of moaning and whining and complaining, listen to what Jeremy Lin had to say. Jeremy Lin said, no, I'm really discouraged, kind of disappointed that I don't get to play. But I've learned this, that when I go through the deepest pain, that's when I learn the most about my God. When I go through the deepest time, that's when I learn the most about my God. And he began to add, the reporter said, well, what would you ask your fans to pray for you, those that are followers of Christ? What would you ask them to do to pray for you? So I'd ask them to pray for my healing, but I'd also ask them to pray for this, that I'd have a deeper understanding of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you see, hope gives you what you need. And hope guides you where you need to be. And as a result, Jeremy Lin understood that his time in the spotlight was no longer. And he said in this interview, he said, I struggle with pride every day. He said, I struggle with pride every day. But I'm learning more and more, deeper and deeper, what it means to connect with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And there was another story that was put out just a few weeks ago. See, prior to his surgery, he had made headlines by having an interaction with former ESPN editor Anthony Federico. Remember Anthony Federico? Anthony Federico is the one who wrote a statement about Jeremy Lin that many took as a racial slur. Anthony Federico did not mean it as a racial slur. He said that. He said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but he was fired. And as a result, Jeremy Lin connected with Anthony Federico and said, let's have lunch. They had lunch together. Anthony Federico apologized to Jeremy Lin. 
Jeremy Lin told him he forgave him, and as he was interacting together, Anthony Federico said this, he didn't treat me as someone who's inferior. He didn't treat me as an NBR superstar, maybe treat me. He treated me as a brother in Christ. He was doing what Jesus would do. He was being Christ-like. You see, hope meets you where you are. Hope gives you what you need. Hope guides you in the path you're supposed to take. And Paul wrote it this way. Look at me. Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint because you know why that is? It's found in the living hope of the resurrection. We look back at the cross and we see the love of God. We look into the empty tomb and we see the victory that's found because of the resurrection. And it gives us that hope. You see, she went, Mary Magdalene went from being hopeless to hope-filled. She went from being totally discouraged, totally dismayed, to being filled with hope. You see, no matter where you are today, the message of Easter is this. God loves you. And you can be a person filled with hope if you will just put your faith and trust in the one who gave his life for you. By simply confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can move from hopelessness to being hope-filled. My prayer today is you'll wake up to hope. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Maybe today as you are here, you're saying, Pastor, I, I've never heard this before because I've always thought it was based on what you do. I want to share with you the good news that God loves you so much that he sent his son to give his life for you. And all you need to do right now, right in the private of your seat, you can pray a simple prayer of faith like this, just in the quietness of your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me. Come into my life. Take away my sin. And make me your child. I believe he was raised again for me. Give me the victory that only you can give. In Jesus' name I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, I want to pray for you right now. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Just slip your hand up in the air wherever you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up and put it back down. Thank you so much. Dear Father, thank you for the power of your spirit. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who prayed that prayer today. And I thank you, Father, for saving their soul. And I thank you for the redemption you've given them because of what Christ has given. And I pray now, Father, that you will just give them the victory that hope brings. In Jesus' name, amen.